as a Latina, if your clothes are anywhere near tight, then you're automatically unprofessionally dressed or sexy for assets that are just yours. So it's like you want to make sure that the clothes that you're wearing are not baggy because then that's also seen as like urban and not professional, but then it can't be too tight because then you're like the sexy Latina who of course would dress like that for her job. Every time I started a new job, it was a whole process. <laughs> Mi gente, what's good? Dímelo, dímelo. Welcome to another episode of the Quien Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest join us for a very candid conversation about the conflict that they've experienced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip in the intro that you just heard is with this week's guest, Tatiana Roman. Before getting into the full conversation, let me give you a quick bio so that you know Tatiana a bit more. She was actually born and raised in the Bayside area of Queens, New York, to parents from the Dominican Republic. For college, she actually stayed in New York, where she attended Pace University and graduated magna cum laude. Way better student than I was. I barely got a 3.0 graduating. <laughs> Since graduating, she's worked for various publications, and these days, she's the editor-in-chief at Remezcla. Also, a fun fact that we actually didn't get into in this episode, Tatiana competed in Miss New York USA 2015 and won the contest. Now that you know a little bit more about her, let's get into this dope episode. All right, so let's get started where we always do with the with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword. What does it mean to you, though, when you hear it? Authenticity for me means when I'm moving for myself, when I'm moving in my real authentic self. And what I mean by that, because I think that's changed so much for me, is really taking a second to think about what I want, because so often we don't think about how much outside forces influence us from like the ads to media to our friends and family to social media like everything that we digest really does influence us and sometimes what we think is authentic to us is really clouded by all of that so like sometimes I really try to take a second to really ask myself you know so often we respond so quickly and we think it's authentic to us but like if someone even asks me like do I want a job for example if I get a job offer like my last job it took I didn't respond back for like a week or two. And in the past, I would respond right away and be like, yes, I need this job and be so excited. And like, even with plans, like now I'm like, hey, can you give me like an hour to like think about it? Because I really just want to sit with it and think, is this something that I truly want? And this is, or is this clouded by what I think I truly want? And that's what authenticity means to me at this current stage of my life. For sure. And we'll get into sort of like when that happened, but you mentioned an interesting word that I think has such an influence on our early authenticity family yes what do you think were the expectations your family had for you and like how did you navigate that that's so funny because from a young age my family because i was very i was snap back that was like part of my personality like i'm one to quickly you know respond and have a response to everything as my mom used to say and um so they always called me you know that la, la bobada like i was gonna be mm. a lawyer and that was kind of imprinted in my head, like, she's going to be a lawyer, she's going to be a lawyer. And they got so excited by the thought of that. So, like, I ended up going pre-law track. I did, a, like, a whole law program in high school. I was, 
like my eyes were set on like I'm gonna go to Harvard I ended up signing up for criminal justice pre-law track to go into college and it wasn't until I was in college I was in the classroom that I was like I hate this so much (laughs) (laughs) and like kudos to anyone who loves law respect it but I was just like this is not for me and like I felt my whole body just screaming like this is not for you and that was like the, the biggest moment in which I realized my family's influence and even their response when I told them I was switching majors, like my mom cried. My dad did not speak to me for like a month um, when I was like, I think I'm going to go in the writer route. Like my dad was like, there's no money in that. I'm not here to like take care of you for the rest of your life. And like, I know he wow. meant it with love, but right, right. Um, they want to see you do well for yourself. They understand that, you know, they're not going to be here forever. They're not going to have job security forever. So yeah, it's just like that. I think that was like a really big arc in terms of like my family's influence. I mean, it's an emotional ride for you to even make that personal decision to be like, I don't want to do this. And then it's another emotional ride to get that feedback from people you love who love you as well. Like, talk to me about the emotions of receiving that feedback. Like, how did it feel? It was disheartening because it's like all I ever want to do is make them proud. You know, they did so much for me. They sacrificed so much for me. So it's like this torn feeling of like making myself. And I think this is one of the biggest battles of authenticity, right? Because it was like, here I am trying to like live for myself and do something that I know I'm going to love. And, but at the same time, like I'm being tugged by this wanting to make my parents proud, wanting to in the future, take care of them, do right by them because of all that they did to me. Cause I'm first gen, my parents came and you know, always my dad was always about giving us a better life. Like he had his eyes set on this like neighborhood that he moved us into for a better life. He like was always like, here's like, he always provided. And so did my mother in terms of like giving my brother and I like the best of the best so that we just were set up for success. Ain't that some shit though? Like, it's not like your parents were like, yo, you're my retirement plan, but we tell ourselves that. Though. Yes. Uh huh. Exactly. But my dad will that- throw like little pujas here and there. Like, <laughs> like can't wait for the day you take care of me. And like, so for me, it was always like, my subconscious always felt like I had to take care of them eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, but that's a lot of pressure, though. Because yeah. then here you are looking to do something that you feel a little bit more passionate about, but you're just yeah. like not even making the decision just for you. It's like you're making a decision for, for the family almost. Yes. Yeah. Which is what we've seen our parents do and what we've seen yeah. our tias and theos. But it's like, I don't want to be a part of that. I feel like also, I can do what I want to do and still, if my parents needed me to in the future, still provide for them. Um, yeah. But I don't want to move in that way where I'm like, this is job security. That's not happiness. And I, I want my future children, future generations to feel like they're chasing happiness and not so much security. Well, isn't that why they came here? So that we didn't yeah. have to do the same exactly. things that they did? Yeah. <laughs> Talk yeah. to me about like growing up. Like, did you see any writers or people in editorial and and those things nope never uh i did not see myself because it was like i grew up in queens my family's from the bronx so for me i never saw my voice in particular i saw latina voices from you know mexico that were writing from los angeles and like we're not a monolith that i don't relate to that identity i don't relate to that you know that voice so for me i didn't see myself specifically and so you know, that's the closest I could get to identifying with someone, but it wasn't the same upbringing. It wasn't the same, like, I like the Mexican traditions and cultures weren't something that I'm familiar with. Like, I don't play yeah. la loteria. I don't play, like, I don't eat Mexican candy. And, like, 
those are things that I love learning about, but those are things that I don't necessarily relate to. So for me, a big part of the way I moved in this industry was very much like off the premise that we're not a monolith and there's a lot more stories to tell. I was motivated to enter this industry so I could change it and I could see more voices like myself. So it wasn't like I was inspired by anyone in particular. It was more so like inspired by the lack of inspiration that I had. That's a that's a that's a big challenge. Like it is, it so, is. Talk to me yeah. about just like earlier in your career. Yeah. You're excited, you go in there, like did you see anybody that looked like you? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. So the first job I had was at a traditional Latine media company. And so for me, that was something that was speaking to my grandma, my tias. Spanish language. I wasn't consuming things in Spanish language. Of course, you know, you watch, you know, Los Telenovelas with your family and that's like time to bond with them or Caso Cerrado. But like, I wasn't necessarily like when I was scrolling on my phone or reading things, like taking it in in Spanish, I wasn't catching up on soap opera stars lives. I was, you know, taking in like the Cardi B's and like, you know, reading about other things and like for me, I never identified with, so I didn't see myself in this newsroom. And that's what really inspired me. I ended up launching a channel under this umbrella of a media company for millennial Latinas um, that was in English. So I ended up doing that at my next place and really creating a sub-brand for Latine communities. And I felt like every space I was entering, and that's what I mean by like, I was inspired by the lack. I was like, I'm gonna start something here that speaks to folks like me who don't feel like they're being spoken to, essentially. Yeah. Well, about some of those early experiences, like what was that first day corporate swag looking like? I have actually missed out on job interviews because I didn't have my hair straight. So I'm someone who has really, yeah, naturally curly hair. And I've like literally rescheduled interviews because I couldn't find time to blow out my hair because we've been made to feel that like, Whenever I had a graduation, right? If I had a graduation, if I had an important event, if we had a party in my family, I was taken to salons to do my hair. Or not, like, my mom would not show up. If her hair is not done, we would make an excuse. One of the kids are sick. Like, if we can't get our hair, nails, eyebrows done, everything, we're not showing up. So, like, for me, that's the way I always felt like was presentable. And my natural curly hair wasn't professional and I wasn't going to get the job. So, every time I started a new job, I was, it was a whole process. It was me doing my hair, getting it pinned straight. I was making sure that my clothes were not, you know, as a Latina, if your clothes are anywhere near tight, then you're automatically unprofessionally dressed or sexy for assets that are just yours. So it's like, you want to make sure that the clothes that you're wearing are not baggy, but they're also like, because then that's also seen as like, urban and not professional but then it can't be too tight because then you're like the sexy latina who of course would dress like that for her job so it was like even up to the clothes that i wore had to be deemed professional so it was just like yeah it's a it's a it's a toll and it's like you have your parents in your ears about like pelo malo Mm -hmm. and what media tells you is professional in terms of clothes and latinas because i think that's a a very siloed thing as well yeah that's exhausting i mean you're not alone too like there there have been women on the podcast that said that they like bought long blazers just to kind of like wear as a poncho to cover their breast and butt yeah that's exactly what i had to do like i had to buy long blazers long blazers make sure that my blouses were like two sizes over and like I either I found a way to like pin it to make it ch- like you just don't want to you know fit this mold of like the sexy fiery Latina because then people either get intimidated or they get like they just feel like that's not professional 
and it's why just, are you talking about it like it happened i don't i don't think it happens okay. <laughs> like did you get any sort of feedback that made you feel uncomfortable about like how you were dressed? i i remember walking into i remember i had a pencil skirt on once and i remember there was a co-worker that was like "Ooh, so sexy today and i was like this is pencil skirt and it's just like comments like that like ooh, you know like and i know it maybe wasn't intended to be like but it's a microaggression at the end of the day it's like if someone that what didn't have my body type or wasn't a latina walked by with the same pencil skirt you're not going to see that and it's like i don't want to be seen as sexy in the workplace that's a, a little inappropriate so it's like to even have that said publicly out loud in the workplace like ooh, so sexy it's like you know, it's like a little weird. So I, I did experience like little comments like that if I would wear certain things. So it's like, it makes you a bit, you know, subconscious of the things that you're putting on in the morning and you're, you're trying to be careful. And I would wear, I remember the first day that I started at like a predominantly white space that I worked in, I bought like this cute little dress that was like a little fluffy. And it was so not like me. Like I'm a girl who wears like, you know, jeans and like, I'm a sneaker head. Like I love sneakers. I, and I love, and it was like this, little dress from Marshall's that was like with lemons on it. And like, <laughs> it was just like this fluffy little dress that was like, it covered everything from my chest area. It didn't like slim anywhere. And I had these like yellow, like mules, like heels. And I was like, Ooh. like, it was just not me at all. Like I'm a very sweater. I love my khaki pants. I'll wear jeans. I'm sneakers all day, every day. So it's like, that's me. And I just feel like all of that comes with stereotypes, right? Of course she's going to wear sneakers. She's a girl from like, because I lived in Harlem at the time. She's, of course, she's like a Latina from God Harlem. Forbid, God yeah. forbid there are certain type of sneakers too. Oh, yes. If they're Jordans or, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if you wear some Allbirds, ain't nobody coming at you. Yeah. If I wear Converse, <laughs> I'm okay. But <laughs> Yo. if I put some Air Forces, it's over for me. Yo, that I'm, – I'm fascinated by – you potentially just like getting dressed one morning and then looking at your outfit and you're like, who the fuck is this person that I'm looking at in the mirror? Oh, yeah. Like, this is not me. Yeah. That's happened so many times for me in my career. Like, if not most of my career. Where I but what do you do? What do you do in those situations? Like, do you think back to these lofty goals that you have for yourself and your family? You're just like, well, this is just like the price of entry. Like, what, what are some of the thoughts that you think about? For me, it was like... I only hope to continue to grow so that I can change the way that these newsrooms work. So being an editor in chief now, I'm very like, wear what you want. I always moved with the hopes that I would continue to grow so that I can change things. So I always felt like, you know what, one day I'm gonna be a leader and one day I'm gonna change this. And I felt like that really kept me like inspired and like kept me going versus feeling discouraged. It was discouraging because it wasn't being myself, but I always moved with the thought that like I I could change this in the future. I think it's interesting too. Like whenever we work, I think we sometimes just like look at our closets and we're just like we literally have two separate closets, kind of like personal oh, and then yeah. work. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes like before we even notice that we're losing ourselves, other people start calling us out as well. Whether it be like friends or family, like mm -hmm. where are you going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I I remember I used to like meet my friends like. Going after work, I hung out in Washington Heights. So I would go meet my friends at a bar and it's like, what are you, what are you wearing? <laughs> Who is she? It was like, such, but I feel like we all understood each other. So it wasn't like crazy because we were all navigating the same spaces because me and my friends were in the same, we were moving in the same predominantly white spaces. And so we kind of all understood each other, but we wouldn't make the jokes of like, 
okay, who's she walking in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, did you tell anyone about some of those early experiences around some of the challenges you experienced? I would connect with people that I worked with. And in these workplaces, it's so funny, like, when you find your people. And so, like, in one team in particular, there was just one girl that her and I bonded right away. And we would talk about these microaggressions like every day. We like texted each other during work hours. We'd look at each other from across the room and be like. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it felt safe with her and it was great to have someone like her, but that was somebody I would talk to because it's like different. You you can tell your friends, you can tell your family, but no one's really gonna understand unless they're like there, like seeing what it looks like. And no one's really in your workplace with you, like understanding. Like, you can understand to a certain extent, right? If someone comes to me and they're like, oh, I work in a predominantly white space, I can only imagine. But, like, every space is different. Every, like, workspace looks different, even to, like, some people having private offices to, like, a collaborative workspace. Like, everything and, like, what's required of your work is different. So, like, the way these microaggressions come out could be. So, I feel like having this one person was the one person that completely, like, I always went to all the time. I completely understand. And it's wild, too, because... You know, when I was going through certain things, I felt like I couldn't talk to my family because they wouldn't understand. In fact, whenever I talk to my mom about these situations and I ask her if she's ever been through these and I know she has like she's way she's retired, lived in a very probably worse time period. And I'm just like, mom, no one ever made fun of your accent. Like she refuses to even acknowledge it. And I think it's because like she doesn't want to look weak, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't talk to my friends because they're going to be like, yo, but don't you get like free lunch? Shut up. Like, what's the oh. big deal? Yes. Right. Like your friends may have cool jobs, <laughs> but it's not your job. So having yeah. someone maybe that looks like you is going through something similar, that's like so needed because for once you can finally tell yourself like, oh, no, I'm not crazy. Like yeah. these things are happening. Yes, exactly. And it's like what you just said, like my friends would be like, you're interviewing all these cool celebrities. You're interviewing yeah this person and it's like you have like the coolest job ever so it's like you never want to seem like you're ungrateful and you're complaining about these things and also like when you mention your parents it's like my parents are very much about like you have a job so like don't complain like keep your head down do your work like that was their mentality and my dad's very much like you you need to go in clock in keep your head down like he's not a very much speak out person so for me I was never one to go to them and be like this happened because it'd be like just be grateful you have a job so yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, even that example, like you said, there was one person. Mm-hmm. One person. And even that one person, like I also had that one person. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a friend that wasn't at the company, but was at a similar company. But mm-hmm. I mean, think about that person. Like, we don't want to just like trauma dump every day. It was like, hey, another one today. Like, yeah. so sometimes we just kind of like hold yeah, that stuff hold in. It. Yep. We hold it in and we you just swallow the pill. And just go on about your day as if everything is normal. And I always said this when I've talked to people. It's like, people don't understand people of color's extent to their job. Like, they, we do our day-to-day job, but we also have so much on us that's exhausting. That's extra to our job. And that's dealing with microaggressions. That's having to know more than the, the our white peers, right? So, like, as someone who worked in beauty, I was expected to know how to write about black hair, how to write about Latina hair, how to write about white hair I was supposed to know everything but my white peer was only expected to write about white hair so it was just like on top of that I'm also dealing with the fact that I have to over explain myself and explain why is bad buddy popping off like why do people love him what's the difference between latine and latinx like there's so much on us that's like mentally draining physically draining 
Like it's not just our daily responsibilities. And that's why I'm always like, demand your money. Ask for Facts. your money. <laughs> our jobs are more than our day-to-day roles. Facts. Tell me more about that. Like, why do you think you were expected to know more than other people? Because as a person of color, they just expect you to know everything under the umbrella when it comes to that identity. And I always had to shut things down sometimes because it's like, as a Latina, they sometimes expected me to understand the black identity, right? And it's like, I like I don't have protective hairstyles. I don't I don't practice, I don't do protective hairstyles, so I can't speak to that. But with my work comes research. As an editor, you're supposed to do research. You're supposed to learn. You're supposed to interview people. You're supposed to fact check and do these things. And it's like for me, that was supposed to just be innate and expected. And it's like the white person wasn't expected to do the same research. It was just like something that they expected me to have done research on. So it, it was always very fascinating to me. I don't know why, uh, but it, it's something that myself and my Latine and my Black peers all used to talk about. It was like, we were always expected to know more. And they just, because they didn't want to do right wrong, right? So like, right. instead of just trying, it was like, they just rather avoid anything. So let's pr- let's pick the nearest person of color to like hit on this topic. And that used to be frustrating because it's like, even like, let's say someone wanted to cover Michael B. Jordan. It's like, ooh, who's the nearest person of color? You cover Michael B. Jordan. It's like, why can't you cover Michael B. Jordan? He's mainstream, right? So it's like, what? So you, those type of things used to confuse me because it's like, it's like this level of laziness. I understand the fear of like messing up, but also like ask questions, educate yourself the same way that we educate ourselves and we Google things. Because I can't sit here and say that I know everything about every identity under latinidad there's 33 countries i can't speak to the chilean identity to people from Argentina, brazilian i can only speak to me and even dominicans like i can't speak to the dominican identity under any other state aside from new york like i only know which is like its own identity being a dominican from washington heights is so much different from a dominican who's growing up in like kansas city it's almost like white people get to represent themselves while we get while we have to like represent a whole population exactly i used to say how exhausting it was because i used to have to represent 33 countries like i used to be the one person that was would speak to all of latinidad and i'm like that's not possible like i'm not gonna hit the nail on the head it's so funny because i remember so my my, most of my experience has been in like sales and marketing and for whatever reason call it a coincidence i would always get assigned the multicultural marketing things (laughs) And it's funny because my team was like full of white women and they're all moms. I was like, why aren't they working on the mom campaigns? Yeah. No one gets that pressure to like represent a whole community. It's interesting too, like you working in, in, in editorial, do you think you were like pigeonholed to like write certain stories as well? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I've actually never admitted this or told anyone on this. So when I joined my company, <laughs> when I joined my company, it, my one of my previous companies, it was because a Latina left. So I took a Latina role. And I can't tell you how many times I had applied to that company and never gotten an email back, a call back. But the one time a Latina leaves her role is the one time that I get that opportunity. I understood right away what I was going to be expected to do, what I was going to be seen as. I was just filling a Latina spot. And here we have this Latina who can talk to you know this audience. So anytime anything came in, even like a Latina beauty brand was being founded, it was put on me. We want to speak to this Latina celebrity, it was put on me. It used to be so frustrating because I love Casey Musgraves, I love Coldplay. (laughs) I I, I would love to interview like people who are also not Latina, as much as I love my Latina people and I love 
their brands that they're launching. There was also like South Asian brands that were being founded that I would like really push myself for because I'm like, I really love their story. And it's like, I didn't want to be pigeonholed, but I always was. So yeah, it was always happening. And the crazy part about this was that like, if I spoke in my voice, it, that was always edited out. Like it was always like, let's make what this. What do you mean? So like, if I used uh, jargon or if I used phrases that like were similar to me, to people of color that like would be found on like people of color Twitter, it would always be taken out. It was, it would always be edited out and it would always be like, Hey, let's use more, you know, reader friendly. That was always the term. Like, let's be more reader friendly. And it's like, okay, but like, this is my voice. And then when it was like very white trending phrases or things that were used on like, you know, social media that were very like for the white audience, that was never edited up. That was reader friendly. And that was always like put in. So then at a certain point, I found myself pigeonholed, but then writing like a white girl. And then I would leave work. And then I'm back to being like, meeting my friends, like back to Tati, who lives in Harlem and like talking like myself again. But then I found myself like going back to work and like, it was this tug of war. It was like me being tugged in like three different places where like you're pigeonholing me, but then I'm having to write like a white girl, but then like I'm back to being myself. I could only, I could just imagine as well, you probably feeling proud that you were being published, this mm -hmm. well-known publication, but maybe there was hesitation to even like share your work because you were like, it's not even really me. Yeah, it's not. And you was some was was there some shame or hesitation in that? Yes. So funny enough, I'm, I'm spilling tea. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody <laughs> else. Damn. Oh my god. Your 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 boy. Um, your boy Anthony. Like three different times during the recording was like, "Yo, are you a therapist?" Yeah. You got me spilling the tea. No, and you're also getting me to admit things that I've never like publicly spoke about. So. <laughs> Um, no, I ended up finding out when I left the company that it was actually made public. Like some girl went on Twitter and revealed the whole thing. And I ended up finding it was about me that my work, my, my first week of starting was sent around and kind of mocked as to like my writing style and like the way that I wrote. And it was just like being sent around as a way of mocking. And it was like in that moment, it was so disheartening to read and rushing because I remember what it felt like that week and I would go back to my then boyfriend now husband and I was crying that week so I was like I don't feel like I belong there I don't know I just didn't feel like I was being accepted I, I and it's crazy because that was really what was happening like I was being mocked by this one editor and they're no longer there you know I was being mocked by them my work was being spread around and like instead of like helping me as a writer I was being made fun of for not writing in their style but also I'm just like an entirely different person and my writing style is going to be different. But yeah, it's just like, it's crazy like that you brought that up because it's like, that was something that I experienced and that I literally learned about, but I, I had felt that energy. So it's like when someone tries to make you think like, oh, you know, you're just feeling that, like it's happening. Like don't invalidate their feelings. Like if they feel like they're out of place, they're being made to feel like they're out of place for a reason. What's the thing? Like you don't always remember what they say, but you remember how they made you feel. Yes. And sometimes you don't remember what they say because they didn't say anything, but sometimes the looks, the looks could be worse yes. than what people even say. Yo, you know, you know, I'm legit getting goosebumps about this because I'm getting so like upset. Like okay. I wasn't there, but I could imagine that the same people that were potentially mocking you were fucking like smiling in your face and being yeah. all nice and fucking fake as fuck. Yes, yes, it, yes. And you know, you it, it's crazy because like these people are like, oh my God, it's like so amazing to have you on this team. And it's like, then right. you think back to like all your interactions with them and you're like, not okay at all. Like 
not freaking okay. I thought I was going crazy. Like, I can't tell you how many times I would go back to my husband and be like, I I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, I don't know if I'm like feeling imposter syndrome. I don't know if I'm like, yeah. but I don't feel like I belong. I feel like I'm yeah. like, I'm not meant to be here. And I would work overtime. Like I was working overtime to like make sure that my edits were on point. And that was feedback that I would get. It was like, you know, you're very receptive to notes. And like, that was something I was constantly told, but that was because I was working. I was like, any note, any note that you gave me back, any feedback, I was like very much like training myself, practicing, like rewriting things to like fit the mold. And so it was crushing to know, like, as I, as I'm here, panicked, worried, working on myself, What you said was so powerful and it goes back to what I asked you earlier. I was like, who did you tell about this situation? Right. And we often, you know, even if we do have that one person, like sometimes we don't have an example or we feel like we can't describe it or explain it. But to your point, like our feelings are valid. I'm curious, like what in particular were they criticizing? I will sit here and say that I did have to develop as a writer, but I was never given a fair chance to develop that. So, so often in this industry, people are expected to have so many clips, but people of color aren't offered the same opportunity to build on those clips. So I was never given the opportunity to write because either my writing style or the topics that I've covered didn't fit mainstream, right? But that's the only opportunities I was given. So I had a lot of work to do with my writing. I understood that, but to be mocked. And and when did you find out? Like, give me the timeline around, like, was, was that when you already moved on to a new job? No, this was during the Black Lives Matter movement when it first popped off and people started feeling like they could voice them, you know, speak out and like share experiences. And it was actually a black woman who let me know what happened. She went off, told me the whole experience. She actually went off and shared it on Twitter. So this is kind of public information. And I ended up going back and ended up voicing this. I brought it to HR, brought it to the individuals, um, to the team. And I said, like, hey, I know this happened and this is not okay. And this was, I was still at the company when this was happening. Just a shitty thing to experience while you're still at this company. Was part of you just like, I'm not going to report this. I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, I just want to, just let me do my work. Let me get out of here. Yeah, it was. I I did say one thing. I did voice it in a meeting because I just wanted this person to know that I knew. Because I wanted them to know, like, you think you can get away with things, but, you know, things will always come to light eventually. And so I did voice it, but from there I left it. And I knew that I was going to set, like, I knew I had my eyes to eventually leave and be elsewhere. So you're not alone in that, right? Because there's a fear for retaliation. Oh, yeah. There are fears for even just like personal branding. Oh, my God. Am I going to be the girl that snitched or the girl that did this? Whatever that girl means. You know yeah. what I mean? I've had that fear plenty of times. But I, I think that we don't think about the representation that we're creating with whatever decision that we make mm-hmm. as well. Right? Like, let's say you, like, didn't say anything or whatever. Maybe other people are looking at you and they're like, damn, well, if, if somebody makes fun of me, I'm not going to say anything either. Yeah. You know, but by you talking about it publicly and and openly, it's kind of like, oh, that's the precedent or like, that's kind of like what I need to do. Like, I need to find confidence in my voice to be able to do that. I don't know if you realize that at the time, like you you were starting to create representation in like changing the way that people could move at work. Yeah, 100 percent. And I won't even take that credit because I think the Black Lives Matter movement and the way that my black peers at work were speaking out, setting the movement 
And then from there, I really felt like the push to like speak out. And that was like the first time that in a meeting, I wasn't calladita, I wasn't putting my head down. That was the first time that I said, hey, Zoom, raise my hand. (laughs) I have something to say. I found this out. This is not okay. I'm not going to bring it to HR, but just so you know, I know. And that was the first time that I ever spoke what someone would see like at a turn at a company. And it was honestly just motivated by all the people before me that were speaking out, speaking in town halls and saying, like speaking out publicly and saying like, this is what's wrong with this culture. And I think I felt motivated to finally like say like, this is not okay. Revisiting those emotions and what I felt that first week when I started, or like I owed it to myself. Like that, that the, that first week that the, to like say something in that moment. Yo, ain't this some shit like, you earlier, like young as hell, the abogada. Yeah. She diga couldn't shut up. She had yeah. she always had something to say. But when we get into corporate spaces and there's like mm-hmm. our livelihood on the line, the check, yes. the the benefits, not abogada anymore. This one is callaita. Yeah, you have to be because it's like I don't have those same. Ain't that some shit, yo? Yeah, I can't. I can't risk my career, and I always saw I that. It. It's like I can't curse the way that some people curse. Like people have created brands now off of cursing and like smoking weed and like i can't do that i don't have those same luxuries i will lose my job i will be seen as unprofessional i can lose out on job opportunities just because i if i go out and say like show me like rolling a blunt on a saturday like (laughs) like i'm not gonna see be seen the same as like somebody who's like a white peer doing the same shit on a saturday that's not happening i can't smoke hookah on my story on a friday night and like be seen the same like i'm unprofessional now that's why i'm saying like i had to be calladita in order to like save my job because i i have seen people lose their jobs for demanding more money for wanting this or that or speaking out like i've literally watched someone pitch themselves asking for a raise and lose their job whoa yeah and it was like blamed on like layoffs and it's like seeing those things and like seeing a black peer literally mess up on one article and lose their entire job off of it versus like people not admitting that she had a white editor who was also mm. responsible for this but the white editor wasn't fired the black writer was so it's like when you see these things happening in these newsrooms you're like you know let me do my job let me stay shut like even ideas like you don't want too big of ideas because then you have like a white woman getting intimidated and like probably like pushing for you to get fired in the background. Mm-hmm. so it's like there's so much that happens that like keeps you calladita but like as i've approached 30 i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> i'm back so, to being my little abogada <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like like was there a moment it sounds like during the black lives matter movement mm-hmm. maybe a certain um number in age maybe the the editor-in-chief title what was it where you were just like fuck it the black lives matter movement i think people finally having to face the way that things have been and it's not even in just our industry across industries different sectors also made people feel like they weren't crazy like hearing all these black voices speak out and say things and like talk about cultures like work cultures and just the abuse that we face at work and like the microaggressions and like people being so outward with it it like made you i'm not crazy it like made you sit down and like think about what you've been through and i think that was like the stepping stone but i think also at this time i'm like getting closer to 30 and then given the role of like editor-in-chief now I think everything just started like setting off. And I think it was like 
the perfect timing. Like I think the Black Lives Matter movement kind of just set off into like a whole different part of my life. Talk to me about being editor in chief. And the reason I'm asking that is because whenever we join a company, people are like, oh, you represent the company. Eh, not really, right? Like if you're an individual contributor, meh. But when you get a certain level, you kind of do represent the company, right? So even as you think about things like social media, right? Like you got a husband and you could be throwing ass on your husband, but like in the back of your head, you're like, oh my God, is that okay? Are you still insecure about it or anything? I, I'm not gonna lie and say I'm not. I will say I am just because, you know, I'm not allowed the same privileges. Like I'm always going to be typecasted. I'm always going to be looked at in different light. What I do on the weekends is gonna be seen different than someone else. So I'm, I always have that little thought in my head. And I've also heard people be like, well, be careful don't don't post that and it's for like my betterment that they want to do that like they want to make sure that i'm not harming my career but also i feel like it's also repressing parts of myself because i want oh, people yeah. to think that they can go like smoke hookah and like yeah sure buy a picture of sangria <laughs> <laughs> and like have the best time of their lives right. you know throwing throwing their ass back and like still get the job and still be an editor-in-chief like i'm right. I'm a, I'm a person who enjoys myself, who has her time off, who curses, just lives her life and says weird shit sometimes. And like, <laughs> and I want to be seen as that because I feel like what was the point of my mission when I started of like changing the industry and changing, you know, making sure people felt like they identified with people like me and saw more voices like them if I'm not being my authentic self. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't fight those, that I don't have those thoughts because I do and it's something I'm always working on, but I am more than ever fighting that and i am showing up on her side and like it's so funny because i've been playing more with tiktok and some of the comments have been like who who's this person or like i never knew you were i remember the other day someone commented like i never knew you were this cool or like i never <sighs> like i'm just yeah. showing different sides of myself but i never felt comfortable because i was oh i always felt like the things about me were never deemed professional like yeah 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 I could never tell people when I came back to work on a Monday what I was doing because <laughs> yeah. I, I was out of four in the morning. Like, <laughs> what would you say you said you were doing? You were doing laundry, just, Netflix. Just watching The Office, binge watching, <laughs> 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 like doing nothing. I just chilled all weekend. Like, went on a date, yeah, yeah. and even when they'd be like, "Oh, where'd you go?" Like, I couldn't be like, "Oh, we went to Dykeman and like <laughs> went to Cachapas y Mas," and like. <laughs> It would, I would like make up a line like oh, we went to some bar and like I would always say like uptown or like the upper west side and it's like keep it, like very brief too yeah like like I went to Florida de Mayo and it's like oh <laughs> I went to the upper west side <laughs> I went to this this Asian fusion restaurant Asian fusion restaurant yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile they have I'm great having, cocktails yeah, yeah meanwhile I'm getting like fucked up off a long island iced tea and <laughs> <laughs> yo <laughs> Florida de Mayo is a gem yes if anyone but, has in there please go <laughs> but here, here's the thing though because i i get that same feedback mm -hmm. but it's interesting like if i if i would analyze the feedback and who i get it from yeah. i think it's most often from an older generation oh yeah and i think it's because like th those are the survival tactics that they learned right like even when we think about our families they were like my grandfather he would be like you know do you see presidents and ceos with beards and tattoos and piercings yeah. no right act and dress accordingly and i and i get what he was trying to do he was trying to like yeah. protect me from people's negative perceptions but that doesn't mean he was right yeah. because if you look up the definition of professionalism it's defined as a skill or competence expected of a professional that's it. it has nothing to do with how you look right so i feel like we 
but but I get I get the fear. Yeah. I get the fear because I, I just got the my older first last year. <laughs> Yo, I'm 32, and it's this year when I'm gonna get my ears pierced. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I just got my first tattoos because my dad was super like tattoos. Yeah, got a job, and like I've even heard from like peers my age, they were like, "But you do on camera stuff, and like, do you really want to like go on air and like have tattoos?" And I'm like, "But they're also brainwashed over like yes. those learnings, yeah." So it's yeah. like, who can we trust? Who can we do? <laughs> who do we trust? No, it's honestly, but that's why I feel like these conversations are important because mm-hmm. it just goes to show like you can be an editor in chief, you can be a podcast host, you can like own a platform and like still do these things that have been deemed unprofessional for so long. We really need to change what professionalism looks like because it's it's racist at the end of the day. If we really think about what professionalism means, it's a racist antidote. It's like the whole concept, if you think about it, is just it works against a, groups of people and it works to the benefit of some people. It's so draining. I can't tell you when I think back to like how exhausting it is to not have been myself. And like from my work, as I mentioned, like writing as a white girl and then hiding what I was doing on the weekends, like you kind of get lost in all of it and you like lose your identity at the end of the day because you're like lying around the like you're lying around the clock. You're like, not being yourself, that in, becomes a part of you and you start transforming into this person. And like I found myself talking like a white girl at one point. I was like, this is not me. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always say like, there's nothing wrong with expanding your preferences, yes. but like white people put me onto fucking Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. That's um, what I'm saying. I'm fine. Like, it's great, but it's like, I also want to make sure that like, I'm staying true to myself and like, yeah, I like, and Sometimes I say things like, I'm mad happy. And like, I remember the looks I got when I said mad happy. And it's like, what's mad? And it's like, and then that's like unprofessional, right? Because you're like, you're this editor. And now I'm an editor in chief. And I'll still say it. Like, it's funny. My mom came to visit me recently. I was in a meeting and I was like, I was like, let's get the, you know, let's, let's make this shit happen. And I said shit. And my mom literally from the room, like, I could tell she wanted to like throw something (laughs) at me. And it's just like, but that's the culture I wanted to create. Like for me, it's really important to like be open, be myself. And I, I say these words, like in my real life, I, I use these words. I like, of course, I'm not going to make a sales pitch meeting and like, sure. Say the word fuck. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, but like with my, my team and my peers and like the culture I want to create in my company is like, whatever, like, however you speak, I want it to be what, what you do at work. We shouldn't have to be like code switching and like, you sign off and now you're this person and then you log on and you're this person. Like I want people to be their authentic selves because I know what it, exhausting it is to not be yourself. Facts. Uh, and to wrap up, yeah. obviously you're not done growing. Neither yeah. am I. None of us are. Like what's the one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to continue, you know, pushing that boundary and authenticity at work? Um, the people that come after me, I don't want them to fear like they can't be themselves so I feel like thinking about the generations that come after the ones that include my future children and like thinking like I don't belong in this space um that feeling I had that first week where I was crying like I don't want anyone to ever feel that in whatever space they work in we should be able to like follow our dreams and like I love writing I love being an editorial I love storytelling so I want them to be just as excited and never feel that and then I would say personally it's my happiness I feel like what keeps me inspired is just knowing that like 
being myself, being my most authentic self serves my well-being, serves my happiness. And at the end of the day, actually gets me more respect, gets me higher in life um, than when I'm not being myself. I find like that if I'm not being myself, as we as I shared the story of being mocked, I'm I'm still I'm not going to be respected. And for me, you know, respect is something that in work you you still want to you know you want to be loved, but you also you want to enjoy your culture, but you also still want to be respected as a human. And I find that the more authentic I am to myself, the more I'm respected as a human. Mi gente, that wraps up another episode of the Quien Duetas podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please do us a favor, like, share, comment. Wherever you're listening to this, please leave us a review. It's only going to help us in the algorithms to ensure that these stories and experiences get heard by as many people as possible. Because that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Ya tu sabe. See you next week.